0: Uh, I want to continue on with our series uh, called I, and uh, just as a refresher of why we're doing uh, a series called I, uh, there's nothing magical or mystical about I. I is you, I is me, and uh, we have a choice in life. We can either live a very I-centered, I-centric life, or we collectively can live together in community to make much of He. And so we have a decision to make. You can live for Uh, The small I, meaning you, meaning make a big deal about who you are and who your name is, so to speak, Uh, or you can live in the context of we, and we together uh, live for he. Um, And this is a big deal. Um, Too many of us go through life uh, really not sometimes knowing what we're actually living for, but when we look in the mirror, we're actually living for I, and uh, our hope, my hope is that there would be a transformation in each of us, ultimate transformation in this community, where we would not be I-centric. Uh, we would be He-centric, God-centric, Jesus-centric, where our life is, com- is impacted because we're living for Him. Uh, last week, we looked at um, the story of the shepherds, and um, it was a great story because when they saw a Savior, their song and their story changed. And their song was not about them, and their story was not about them. Their song and their story was about the Savior, was about Him. And something happened to them when they saw a Savior. So last week we looked at I, small I, see. That when we see a Savior, uh, the Savior changes us so that we don't sing about us. I'm not just talking about a literal song, but we don't let the story uh, of our lives be about us about I, and we don't certainly sing about I, and that was amazing to see when they journeyed to go see the Savior. They went one way, but they came back a completely different way. Uh, This morning, um, as I mentioned, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes ago, uh, we're looking at the story of Mary, and Mary's a pretty hot topic issue. Uh, Just saying the name Mary, or some would refer to her as Mother Mary, there's lots of opinions uh, about who she is and what she did and how we're supposed to relate to or think about or what, how, do I, how do I process Mary? Uh, some people make way too big of a deal and worship Mary, and that's not right. And some people completely ignore Mary and don't see her as a model or as an example of faith for us to follow. So I would hope as we uh, start today today, our starting point is not we're not making a big deal about Mary. Uh, we don't worship her. She's not God. And, um, but we also don't ignore how God used this incredible woman. And I say woman hesitantly because when we meet Mary in the story of Luke, uh, and this will be hard to believe, but she is somewhere between the age of 12 uh, to 15. Women in that culture, young girls, would be betrothed to be married uh, as early as 12. And then there would be a twofold process. Betrothed, sign a certificate of marriage, a bridal price would be agreed upon, and then there would be about a year where uh, they would not live together, there would be no sexual intercourse together, Uh, he would live with his family, she would live with his family. And so I know this because women in that culture were betrothed to get married at age 12 to age 13. And it is absolutely phenomenal to me to think about uh, the story of Mary and picture her as a 12, 13, 14-year-old girl at best. I think when we picture Mary, we're like maybe late 20s, 30s, pushing 40s. She's a 12-year-old girl, 13. And as best as you can, get that in your mind of, As we read this story, the response that she has is coming from barely a teenager. I mean, I think of sometimes the responses I have to God at age 37. I'm like, this 12-year-old, 13-year-old just puts me to shame. We're talking about I sacrifice. And I want you to think real quick of... I'm hoping that we can all probably think of at least one person... Uh, In our lives who has made sacrifice for us. So think about a person who has actually sacrificed for you. I'm guessing maybe you might think of um, uh, maybe your parents, uh, and it's safe to say all of our parents have made incredible sacrifices for us. You might say, well, my dad was just, he's not a good dad. My mom was not a good mom, and Our parents uh, made incredible sacrifices for us. They may not have done it well, but there were sacrifices made. Maybe it's a spouse. You think of your spouse, husband or wife, fiancé, and you're like, wow, they continue to make sacrifices for me, or just a friend. As you're thinking about a sacrifice that someone made for you, what was your response or reaction to the sacrifice? Was it one of, well, I deserve that, uh, because I is, is... I is I. Of course they would do that for I. Look at I. I is so good. I is so great. If they, should, they should want to do that even more. Or did the sacrifice that someone did for you, did actually inspire you? Did it inspire you to say, you know what? I don't want to just be a person who makes sacrifices on occasion. I want to be a person, an individual, a man or a woman who lives sacrificially. And there is a difference between those who make sacrifices and those who live sacrificially. As we'll see with Mary, she lives sacrificially. And so catch this distinction early on, because I'll make it often, is there are those who sacrifice. And as I'm thinking about this, there are those who sacrifice in order to meet a need, meaning they're just trying to be helpful. As needs arise, they'll meet that need. They'll make sacrifices even if there's a cost to themselves. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but when there's no needs, then there's no sacrificing going on. It's just moment as needs arise. Sacrificing to make a statement about I. There are those who literally make sacrifices as a way to draw attention to themselves, draw attention to the I, wanting other, others to make much of I to appreciate I, to love I, to recognize I, to know I. That's People make sacrifices with that in mind, to make a statement. Then there's sacrificing uh, in order to soothe a really guilty conscience. I just lived a messed up life. I continue to do wrong things. I'm sinning all over the place. If I do this, I will probably feel a little bit better about myself. If I write maybe a bigger check, sacrifice around the bank account type of thing, or if I give a little bit more of my time, my talents, that kind of thing, you somehow feel a little bit better about yourself. Then there's sacrificing. And this is a, a really harsh one, is there are people who sacrifice uh, to make other people feel guilty. And sometimes there are people who sacrifice as a way to manipulate or control other people. Look at what I, small I, I, Uh, am doing. And it's a way to guilt trip other people um, to lift yourself up to make them feel small. Now, I know you might say, well, who cares? It doesn't really matter what the motive is. At least a sacrifice, hopefully a sacrifice for the good benefit of others, is taking place. So why does it matter? Well, I'll give you one quick answer because your heart matters to God. So you can do something with really distorted, sinful, evil motives, and it might look good to me or to someone else, but God, he checks out at the door and says that's not acceptable. And ultimately, I believe uh, that God has called I, small I, to not make sacrifices in life, but to live sacrificially. And as we come to the story of Mary... Um, this is her story. It's one of surrender. It's one of, not one who just made a one-time sacrifice, but one who made uh, decided to live sacrificially. Um, Before I read uh, her story, uh, the quick, I want to maybe lay this down as a foundation, is if you're going to be a sacrificial lifestyle, live sacrificially day in, day out, there's two things. Uh, that is the result of God's grace at work in you. I can only live sacrificially because God's grace is at work in me and his grace is working in me to cause me to live very differently in light of who he is. So God's grace at work in me and if you're gonna be a sacrificial lifestyle, you better know who you are. Many people have no clue identity-wise who they are searching for their identity in, I don't know, their career, in so many different places, and our identity is ever-changing. I love how Mary says this. We'll cover this a little bit later, but Luke 1, verse 38 just simply says, this is Mary's response, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the Lord's servant. I know who I, small I, am, and I am the Lord's servant, and I like how she doesn't say "I serve the Lord." She says, "I am the Lord's servant." God's grace at work in you, and a secure identity of who you are, and your identity is found in being one who is a servant. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, open up to uh, to Luke uh, chapter one, and uh, some quick background, I guess. This is amazing, okay? For thousands and thousands, literally probably about 4,000 years, probably even a little bit more than that, God has, since the Garden of Eden, I'll go back that far, God has promised that he would send a savior. He would send a Messiah, a redeemer, someone who would reconcile humanity back to right relationship with God. And it's happening right here in this story. And the first person to hear of God breaking forth into human history and actually understand the plan is a teenage girl. For thousands of years, people talked about this, prophesied about this, wrote about this, anticipated, waited for this, and the first person to hear of this news that God was coming forth into humanity and this is what it was going to look like is a teenage girl. Like, I'm thankful I'm not God, and I know you're thankful I'm not God. Because if I was God, I would not have written the story that way. If I was going to make my appearance, it certainly would not be to a no-name girl in a no-name town who was barely even a teenager. But God saw fit to do it this way. Uh, if you read in Matthew, or, sorry, Luke, uh, the very beginning of the story, there's an angel named Gabriel. Gabriel appears to a priest named Zachariah. He tells Zachariah, Zachariah, your wife, who is well beyond childbearing years, is going to be pregnant, and she is going to give birth to John, John who we know as John the Baptist. Not John is a Baptist, meaning he started the Baptist denomination, but he was known as the one who would prepare the way for Jesus, okay? This is a priest, okay? So this guy should know how to respond, react to when an angel appears to him, you would think. His response is to doubt and ask for, prove it, show me a sign. I want evidence that this will actually happen. Just in case an angel ever appears to you and reveals God's plan to you, don't do that. Because Gabriel did not like that too much. And Gabriel's a warrior angel, and that's the last thing you want to do is tick off a warrior angel. And so Gabriel looks at Zachariah and says, man, you just messed up. You're not going to talk. So for the next nine months, you will not even be able to explain what has happened. Zipped, mouth closed. If you ever saw that scene in The Matrix where Neo, his mouth was closed, that's Zachariah. He could not talk because his response to Gabriel was one of, give me a sign, give me evidence. Six months after this encounter with Gabriel the angel, Gabriel appears to this teenage girl, and this is the story. In the sixth month, verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Has to make that distinction because no one knows where Nazareth is. It's not even mentioned in the the Old Testament, okay? It's not even on the map. So the distinction is Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. I'm picturing Gabriel's like, I'm sorry, God, GPS is not picking up Nazareth. You're going to have to help me out of where is this small rural town that I can't even find? It's in Galilee, okay? Sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name, okay? We know a few things about her. We know that she's a virgin, okay? It's repeated it several times, okay? We don't know her name yet in this part of the story, but we do know she's a virgin. Women, how would you like to be always introduced, so to speak, the virgin over here? And uh, she's a virgin. Oh yeah, by the way, her name is this, the, the, the virgin, Okay? The virgin's name was Mary. Mary just means excellent one. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Teenage girl, angel appears, huge warrior looking Gabriel. Her response, obviously, she's probably a little bit freaked out. I mean, can you imagine this happening to you? Okay, this is not like a fictitious story. This is the real thing. This happened. God breaks forth into human history and declares his plan, his purpose to a teenage girl. Gabriel's the messenger, and she gets the message. We learn a few things about Mary. What about Mary? Well, we know uh, a few things, actually. She lived in Nazareth, she's a virgin. That's mentioned twice, and I don't have time to just completely unpack this, but I don't want to neglect it either. This is a really big deal that Mary is a virgin, okay? I'll give you three very quick reasons why. This is a miraculous birth, miraculous meaning of God from God, okay? This is not normal. I don't know if you've ever been taught the birds and the bees, but women who have not had sex do not get pregnant. That's not the norm. Okay? This is absolutely class A miracle that Jesus was conceived solely as a miracle of God. Larry King was interviewed once, CNN correspondent guy, um, and Larry King was asked, if you could ask Jesus one question, what would you ask Jesus? This is Larry King. I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born, because the answer to that question would define history. I don't know anything about Larry King and where he stands with God, but I know that's an incredibly wise statement. Because if this, in fact, was the miracle that the Scriptures proclaim it to be, history would be defined by this right here, a virgin birth. So it's a miracle. The second thing is, is, is a fulfillment of Scripture. 700 years before this, a prophet named Isaiah prophesied that there would be Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, I don't know how much extra literature you read, but recently Isaiah 714 has come under a lot of attack. Well, the virgin that Isaiah is referring to is actually not translated in the Hebrew as virgin. It's translated as young maiden. That's the argument that people make. Here's a quick Hebrew lesson. There's two words uh, for virgin in the Old Testament. One is Alma, which is usually translated as young maiden, like it is here in Isaiah 7.14. And the other one is Bethua, which just means virgin. Okay, Why this is important is the two words are used synonymously. Okay, So when Isaiah says a young maiden, young maidens were virgins. If they weren't, they were killed. And there's other times where, if you're familiar with Old Testament in Genesis, I think, uh, 34, uh, Rebecca is referred to as a virgin using the word Alma. So the words interchangeably used, young maiden and virgin, are synonymous because young maidens would be virgins. I know in all all our culture, that's not the norm. In their culture, they would die. And so when the prophet says the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. This is fulfillment of Scripture 700 years later. Okay? There's theological implications for the virgin birth. This points to the deity of Christ. Okay? So Jesus was born by the Spirit of God, meaning he was protected from sinful nature. Scripture makes so clear that Jesus was without sin. And that starts here at his virgin birth, where he was conceived as a miracle of God, protected from uh, receiving a sinful nature. He was holy, okay? Others that we learn about Mary, she's pledged to a guy named Joseph, okay? I'm guessing if you're single, you would want a guy like Joseph. He was a good catch. Why? Because he's from the line of David. And the Bible only a handful of times refers to a, literally a few men as righteous, Joseph was known as a righteous man, and this was the man that she was betrothed to be married to. And then the last two things. This, me, is this sounding really weird? I'm going to back up. Um, Highly favored, okay? That's what the angel says. You are highly favored. God's grace is upon you. And then the angel says, and the Lord... God is with you. Okay, just stop there for a second. Can you imagine an angel speaking this to you? You are highly favored by God and God is with you. Are you thinking at all, okay, if I'm highly favored and God is with me, what on earth does God want with me? You could have a response of I, small I being, well, of course he is. Look at me. Why wouldn't he be with me? Why wouldn't I be favored? I'm awesome. Or you could have the response a little bit more humbly, and you start thinking, if God's grace is on me, with me, over me, and God is with me, what does God want with me? Have you ever asked that question of yourself? I sense God's presence, God's grace in my life. I know that God is with me, but What does God want with me? Luke goes on and tells a story. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Okay, a little confusing. Okay, the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Not because of merit or what she's done. This word favor and grace are the same. Grace means unmerited, meaning God's grace was on this woman. She doesn't need to be in fear. And then this is the announcement. Imagine hearing this, okay? I know we've probably heard this a few times. This is news to her. So put your heart and mind as best you can with Mary. You're seeing an angel, God's with you, God's grace is all over you, and this is what the angel says. You will be with child, give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, I'm going to be pregnant, but I've I've never had sex. How does that, that work? And my son that's going to be born to me is going to be God's son? And he's going to be ruler, king of an eternal kingdom? Like, I can't even begin to fathom the questions that are swirling around in her mind, but I love her question, okay? She does not, like, demand a sign like the priest did, okay? She doesn't begin doubting or arguing or debating with the angel, like, listen, angel, you're an angel, and you're neither male nor female, and you don't know how this whole thing works with pregnancy, She didn't break forth in, like, health education class. No doubting, no debating, you know, no asking or demanding for a sign. She just asked a very simple, clarifying question. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. I'm a virgin. Like, how does this work? And Gabriel was not upset by this question, because it wasn't a question that was born out of doubt or demanding a sign like uh, Zachariah did. It was just a very simple question. It would be like an angel appearing to me and saying, Michael, you're going to give birth. I would probably be like, wow, I want to believe that's true, but I'm a guy. That's the spirit and that this question is being asked. And I love Gabriel's response. He does three things for Mary, Okay. He gives her some clarification, he gives her an example, and he gives her a promise. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I can only imagine a 13-year-old girl thinking, okay, what is that going to be like? Is that, how, how does that work? Okay, this is his explanation. Holy Spirit comes on you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even, this is his example, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Here's the promise. For nothing is impossible with God. He gives her clarification. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. I'm guessing Mary came from a good Jewish family, had parents who taught her the scriptures, and she may have recalled what the idea of God overshadowing, his presence overshadowing, and it comes from Exodus chapter 40, verse 35. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, overshadowed, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This idea of God overshadowing carries a sense of God's presence is all over this person. Okay, I'm not suggesting in a physical way, in a weird way that sometimes I've heard people try to explain, that God's presence would be so on and over this young girl, Mary. Now, because of that, Angel Gabriel says, child will be holy, he will be called the Son of of God. Okay, don't miss this. This is Jesus. Okay, he's not just a man. He's not just a Jewish carpenter. This is God who was born. He was holy. He was God's son. I just read this this morning in a a devotional from Oswald Chambers, and it says this, Jesus Christ was born into this world, not from it. He did not evolve out of history. He came into history from the outside. Jesus Christ is not the best human being. He is a being who cannot be accounted for by the human race at all. He is not man becoming God, but God incarnate, God coming into human flesh, coming into it from the outside. His life is the highest and the holiest entering at the lowliest door. Jesus, God, man. I don't know if that would have clarified it for you. I'm guessing that Mary might have had a look of confusion on her face. And so Gabriel says, Mary, look at Elizabeth. Like, consider what's happening with your own relative. Like, look over here and see what God is doing with her. Everyone said it was impossible for her to have kids because she's well beyond bearing children. And so Gabriel looks at Mary and just says, "I know this is hard to understand. You might not get it, but don't look at I, small i, cast your vision to what you see God doing." A nether miraculous pregnancy in an old woman getting pregnant. What I love about this is sometimes in my life I get so fixated on I I can't see what else God is doing. And what Gabriel does for Mary, ultimately what he does for us, how helpful is it for you and I to cast our eyes to someone else and see what God is doing in their life? Where's Rob Rabe? Okay, not to pick on him, but I'm going to. Because he can take it. Like I've been hanging out with Rob. Rob has been leading worship with us uh, the last six months. And um, I've been hanging out with him for the last, I don't know, two, three years. And um, he is not the same man he used to be when I first met him. As of a year ago, God did something in this man's life. God changed and transformed Rob. He is not perfect. He would be the first one to tell you that. He still sins, he still makes mistakes. But I take great encouragement when I look at what God is doing in his life. When I get stuck in my own muck and mire and be like, oh, God's just, how can he do this? And he's not doing anything. I'm so encouraged when I look at God's hand on other people. And I don't look with a jealous eye and be like, well, what's up with that? Why isn't God doing that in my life? I look with an eye of just encouragement, and I'm so blown away by what God is doing in this man's life. And I can say this because I know it's not going to give Rob a fat head. It's, gonna, it's just to encourage not only him, but to encourage us. When you are stuck and you're confused, like, how does this work? Or how is God working? How can this happen in my life? Look at Elizabeth, Mary. God's at work in her life. And for you, if you're stuck, look at someone else and just be encouraged that God is at work around you. Be spurred on by that. He gives clarification, he gives an example, and then he gives this amazing promise. Nothing's impossible with God. I'm gonna finish with that, so I'll come back to that. But just, I'll plant the seed. Do you actually believe that? It's one thing to say, yes, nothing's impossible with God. I'll quote the verse. I've read it, I heard it. But it's one thing to actually live it. Because I honestly believe if you live in the reality of nothing is impossible with God, there would be no such thing as anxiety, fear, and worry in your life. Why? Well, why would there be? There is nothing that is impossible with the one who created you. I'll come back to that. Mary's response should be modeled. This is, the, this is where it begins with sacrificial living. Verse 38. Okay, this is what she's heard. After everything that she's now seen in Gabriel, everything that she's heard, this is her one response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Angel leaves. I can only imagine Gabriel left with a wicked big smile on his face, like, wow, what a girl. He just leaves. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. End of story. And just so you know, what Mary, when she said yes, I want you to know what she said yes to, okay? This is what she said yes to, death. Why? Because she's now an adulterer. That's what people would think of her, okay? She faces a possible death because she's pregnant, and there's no possible explanation for her pregnancy except that she had sex outside of wedlock. Okay, so not only is potential death sentence possible, a divorce is now possible. And in fact, it was happening, but God intervened and said, Joseph, don't do it. Can you imagine the conversation that Mary goes to have with Joseph? Uh, Honey, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant. That's not, even the, that's not even the bad news. The bad news is I actually didn't have sex with anyone. I'm just pregnant. I mean, imagine that conversation, having Mary to go tell Joseph. Joseph doesn't respond well. He thinks quietly, he, he sets in his heart and mind, I will divorce Mary quietly as not to cause more shame. God sends an angel to Joseph and says, Joseph, God's in this, don't do this, stick with her, and he does. Death is a possibility, divorce was a possibility, disgrace was a possibility. Women here, I hope no one has ever called you a whore or a slut or an adulterer. I guarantee that's the language that they used of Mary. This was a shame based culture, meaning a woman who would get pregnant outside of marriage was known as a whore. Imagine the finger pointing. There goes the whore over there, there's the slut. So when she says, yes, I am the Lord's servant, and says yes to God, possible death, possible divorce, definite disgrace, and imagine the disbelief. You've got death, divorce, disgrace. Imagine the awkward explanations. Nine months. No, seriously, I'm a virgin. Yeah, but well, no, I, I know it doesn't look like I'm a virgin, but I promise you I'm a virgin. Guys, you ever have someone call you a liar and you know that you are telling the truth and someone just looks at you, you're a liar. And they take a shot at your character, how much that hurts. Imagine nine months of people saying, not only you're a whore, but you're a liar. Maybe even worse, you're not even a liar, you're you're a lunatic. You've lost it. Death, divorce, disgrace, disbelief, and the last one, just to finish with a D, is direction. I imagine Mary had in her mind, I got a good man. I'm going to marry him. I'm going to have a couple kids, grow up in the suburbs of Nazareth. It's going to be a good lifestyle. <laughs> you know, hopefully my kids will play soccer. I'll be a soccer mom, you know, a carpool with some other suburban Nazareth women. I guarantee, probably she was thinking, you know, I just want to live a simple life. I don't want to make a big noise about me, and I don't want to have... I just just want to live simply. The second she said yes, the direction of her life forever changed. If she thought she was heading this way, (laughs) new direction, Mary. You'll be on the run as a fugitive for two years in Egypt, she was headed one way, she says yes, and God changes directions. I'm sure this has happened to you where you felt like, you know, I've got my life headed in a certain direction, and then God shows up and be like, what are you thinking? Why are you walking over there? Because actually my plan, my purpose, my will for you, my call, my mission for you is headed in that direction but God, I'm I'm over here. And God's like, yeah, but I'm over here. The heart of someone who lives sacrificially, not making sacrifices, because a person who just makes sacrifices will go and say, well, I'll go over there for a time, but I'm coming back over here. But a person who lives sacrificially says, God, if that's what you have for me, and if that's where you want me to be, yes. Why? Because I am your servant This is going to sound like a weird question, but one of the things that I love about Mary's response is there was no butt. My question is, how big are your butts? <laughs> Cuz the fear is many of us Okay, work with me here, not speaking of a part of the body, but many of us have really big butts in our life. (laughs) In my head, you know, it it came out, it didn't seem like it was going to sound like this. Let me try again. There's some of us who say, yes, God, but it will need to look like this. Yes, God, but you'll need to make things work out for me like this. Yes, God, but I'll only do this if you do this. We say yes, but then we attach a really big but. And the but prevents us from stepping into what God has for us. And what I love about Mary is there was no but attached to her yes I'm your servant. Let it be to me as you have said, but nothing, that's it. And I wonder what our lives would begin to look like if we just stopped saying but to God. I mean, just think back to your last week. How, much, how many times did you say but in a sentence? Just, it's so part of our everyday language, Mary's response: "I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. Absolutely no buts." As I've been, just finish up with this thinking about Mary a lot. A question that just kept coming to mind is why Mary? Like I'm, I'm pretty sure there was probably a lot of other teenage girls that God could have chosen for this task. I mean, this is the mother of the Messiah. I mean, this is mind-blowing to me. She would be entrusted with God's child. Why, well, I love that song, Mary, Did You Know? I don't think she knew. I think she had an idea. I think she had a clue. But Mary, did you know that God was using you, had called you to be the mother of his child, to be the mother of the Messiah. God's grace was all over her. God's grace was working in her. And when God's grace is at work, and this is why I think Mary is such a part of this story, is there was a willingness in Mary's response. She was willing to be used by God. Many of us say we are willing to be used by God, but on our terms. Mary had no terms. She was willing. She was available. Many of us want to be used, but our life is too crowded. God will not compete with you and your stuff. He won't. There was a willingness. There was an availability. And please, This was not one more thing in Mary's life. This was her thing. And for many of us, God in our lives is just one more thing. People who this is just one more thing miss being used by God. There was a willingness, an availability, and there was a security in her identity. I know who I am. I am the Lord's servant. I'm not trying to impress or do anything else. I know who I am. My security is, my, I, my identity, I'm secure in that. I'm a servant. And then when, the last one I'll just point out is, talk about humility. Like this had to be a God thing. Like when she said yes, like she had to be thinking in her mind, God, this has to be you. Like I can't do any of this. Like what you've called me to, It has to be completely you. Many of us will say yes to God, said yes in pride, and we seek to manipulate and control God from there. Mary starts with a posture of humility and said, I mean, how could she even do this on her own? She can't. She needed to totally depend on God for everything. God is, will never call you to be the mother of the Messiah. That job was already taken care of by Mary. So you don't ever have to worry about this happening to you. But I do firmly believe that God has placed a call on each of your lives. What is God calling you to say yes to? I know we live in a culture that is just I need to learn what to say yes to and what to say no to, and I need to have balance. Just for a moment, because I don't think Mary was balanced. I don't think some of the great heroes of Scripture were balanced. No one would look at the Apostle Paul and be like, that dude's got a balanced lifestyle. We would put Paul on medication and put him in a locked room and say, dude, chill out. (laughs) What is God calling you to say yes to? There will be a sacrifice to be made. Mary did not make a one-time sacrifice. She made a decision to live sacrificially. My hope today is that in response to God's grace in your life, that you would not make any more sacrifices. You would make a decision to say, I will live sacrificially. When I read this story of a teenager My heart is just convicted of her story, of what she said yes to, knowing what could happen to her. May it be to me as you have said, I am the Lord's servant. If you are here today and you're not familiar with God's story, The only way that you will ever be able to live sacrificially is when you understand the sacrifice that God made for you. I will never be able to live sacrificially until I begin to understand the sacrifice that God made for me when He broke forth into space and time. I will dwell among my creation and I will dwell among them perfectly. And despite the evil and despite the sin, next week, please come back because the message is gonna be called, I Murder. And the story will be of the world that Jesus stepped into because the world he stepped into, there was a mass murder of thousands and thousands of children. And this is the world that he stepped into to love and to redeem and to restore and to reconcile. I cannot be a sacrificial living lifestyle person until I get what Jesus has done for me. As we would get ready to celebrate communion, I pray that communion would be different for you today. That it would be driven of, God, thank you for what you sacrificed for me. That Jesus Christ came in flesh, lived perfect, was without sin, went to a cross, paid the penalty for my sin, was beaten, was bruised, was mocked, Endured the shame of it all, fingers pointing, was bloodied, nailed to a cross, left for dead as a sacrifice for us, that we would not have to pay that penalty. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you, I trust God that you are are loud and you have been speaking to people's hearts today. And God, I pray that we would no longer just be a people that make sacrifices, but there would be decisions made today to say, I will live sacrificially. And God, I just confess and I realize that we cannot say that until we know Jesus and understand the grace that has been given to us. God, if there is anyone here today who does not understand the sacrifice that Jesus has made, would you please open hearts and minds and eyes to see that Jesus is God. God in flesh, Savior, Messiah, the only one who can restore and reconcile us back to you, God. If you've never cried out to know Jesus as Savior, do that now. Let your prayer be as simple as, I am separated from you, God, because of my willful sin, my rebellion against you. And confess Jesus as your Savior. To those who are feeling like God is just hitting you hard right now with sacrificial living, will you please respond to him By saying, I'm your servant. I am your servant. May it be.